one of John Maxwell's uh, quotes, and he's got many, but one of the ones that sticks with me and I'm frequently reminded of because uh, I wrestle with it in my own life, but um, he says, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I've been um, listening through uh, Bill, a book by Bill Hybels called Axioms. It's a, it's a book about leadership uh, principles and proverbs and, and all of that kind of stuff. And as I've gotten to know Bill some, somewhat, um, Bill's a pretty intense guy. And of course, you don't build a, a church in Chicago um, over the course of 30 years and, and uh, build it as a church planning pastor and build it up so it's, they've got a weekend attendance now of over 27,000 in that location there at Willow Creek. You don't do that kind of thing without being uh, pretty intense and... Um, and focused in a lot of work and hard work and, and wisdom and just the incredible blessing of God. But Bill is, uh, to say he's just intense would be kind of an understatement. And um, one of the things that he said he had to learn, and uh, I haven't quite figured this out or learned it myself yet. I was thinking about that um, this week. But one of the things I heard him say as I was listening to this this book this week was that he had to learn that if you were going to run board meetings, they went a lot better if he took some time early in the board meeting um, that wasn't so driven on getting through the agenda and uh, focused on the people at the meeting um, before he dove into what he wanted to accomplish at the meeting and all of that. And um, so I, I thought that connected well with... Um, that quote from John Maxwell. Well, I've been here long enough um, that there isn't much about my shortcomings that you aren't already uh, aware of or maybe more aware of than I am. Uh, and no doubt this is, this is one of them. Um, I can be so focused on doing something that I don't realize um, that the people on the way to my doing something are my real mission. And uh, we, we can uh, miss that. And so I, I kind of wrestle with that every day. And this was one of those weeks where I wrestled with that every single day uh, because I just there were just a lot of interruptions this week and I didn't get the things done I wanted to. I don't feel ready for this morning whatsoever. All those kind of things. Uh, that was just the kind of week. But I have a hard time sometimes seeing that God's appointed... Uh, the, the interruptions in my life are God's appointments. And those are the things a lot of times that God really wants to be as my mission for those moments. And so, you know, the, the great heroes in the scripture are the people, um, and a lot of them were so much more driven and so much more intense than I am, but they had mastered and they had learned this thing um, that God's, the interruptions that come along are really divine appointments. And so I just want to share that with you because a lot of times for you, that will be the case also. And sometimes the interruptions and the things that, you know, get in the way of what you really wanted to accomplish, those may be the very things that are not on your to-do list, but they may be God's appointment for you. They may be the things that God had on his to-do list for you. 
um, when you don't see that. And so I, I wanted to share that with you. If you watch Jesus in the Gospels, people are what he really cared about. You can't miss that in Paul. Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, you just think of all the things he did in his short life. And all the churches he planted and all the people. I mean, we just talked about Colossians last week and, and just the people that came down from Colossae down to Ephesus. And while they were there on a short trip, Paul led them to Christ and then they went back and planted this church in, in Colossians. Um, you know, it's amazing all that Paul did and all these different churches that he planted and all of that. He was very missional and he was very intense, but he never lost sight of the people around him in his life. He, in this book, was writing, uh, he was building a relationship here with people that he had never met, had never pastored, had never started the church. From the very first verse, he's building a relationship. And all the way through to the, the end of the book, he's developing and, and building this relationship with the people and he's thanking God for them and he's encouraging them and he's praying for them. And so uh, as you think about that, I just want you to, to to remember that a lot of times, you know, you have these these things you want to do and God maybe has a different list of things he wants you to do than the things you want to get done. And those often are the appointments that God has for you. Listen to the way Paul builds his relationship with these people that he has not met. Colossians chapter 1. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf and who also told us of your love in the Spirit. When you go back and look at this um, text, and, and Nicole, if you'd scroll back one uh, there, thank you. Um, when you look at this, one of the very first things you notice there in this passage, the focus of the gospel, the focus of the good news is always very Christ-centered. And that, again, is the one of the, the themes that Paul wants us to get. And so uh, as we walk through this series, I'm going to continually come back to this question. How central is Jesus Christ to your life? Is he the most important thing in your life? Is he the most important person in your life? Uh, to Paul, the great thing about even God the Father was this, that he was the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. See that? I mean, <laughs> we always thank God. And then he has to say, oh yeah, 
He is the Father of Jesus. That's how important Jesus was to the Apostle Paul. Our faith is not in just God, not in just a generic God out there, but our faith is rooted and established in Jesus Christ. Uh, He goes on to talk about Epaphras being a faithful minister of Jesus Christ. Your faith means nothing if it is not connected to Jesus Christ. Faith is a commitment to Jesus Christ. And you and I need to continually make sure that we don't wander away from a central focus of Jesus in our Christian life. Now there are three, um, you know, if you had a three-legged stool, um, there are three legs to the gospel, and, and you see them underlined there. There's faith and love and hope. Um, and and the people at Colossae, their faith, I mean, they had faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and you have to make sure that your faith is not in your own works. You have to make sure that your faith is not in your church. You have to make sure that your faith is not in itself. Some people just have faith and faith. (laughs) Make sure your faith is in Jesus Christ and what he has done on the cross for you. Secondly, it says, Paul says, the Colossians had love for all God's people. Now, that was something that he knew about. He had heard about, and Epaphras had come and told him that. It was public and it was visible. And then if you go down to verse 8, Paul says that their love is in the Spirit. Now the reason that's important is because it is not natural for us to have love. (laughs) It is natural for us to love ourselves. That's the natural human state. If you and I are really going to have Christian love in our families, in the church, in all of our relationships, it has to be grounded in a relationship in which the Holy Spirit is able to move and work in our lives. And so it is a love that is in the Spirit. We can't rely on ourselves, our own ability to love other people. There are some people that it's just hard to love. And for all of us, it's different people. I mean, we all can think. (laughs) Those people, they're just hard to love. And, And there are people like that for all of us. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in. It's not natural. And sometimes we just need the help of the Holy Spirit to come in and help us love. And we need the help of the, of the Holy Spirit to help us to hear and understand the Scripture and, and know what it's trying to say to us. We can't rely on just our own ability to do that either. Um, it is the Spirit that empowers love. Um, he works not to tell us just what is uh, what's tell us things that aren't in the Scripture, but he, te- he works to make what the Scripture says clear to us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit, or part of the role of the Holy Spirit. But then I want you to notice that it says that God, the, the, the Colossians had hope, and it was focused in, or it sprang from faith and love. 
I want you to just stop and think about that. When you have hope for a better tomorrow, when things are starting to turn around for like Jacob, and you have hope, it does something in your ability to have faith, (laughs) and it does something that allows you to move outside of yourself. And you can start to love other people when there's hope in your life. If you take all the hope out of your life, pretty soon you come in and and you can't think about other people. You're just worried about yourself. And you don't have much faith for tomorrow. And so it is this hope that Paul says it feeds faith and it feeds love. The ability to go outside of yourself. And Paul says that this hope that they have um, is a hope of a greater future in heaven. And whatever your story is today, whatever your story is in this life, you, because you know Jesus, have a great future ahead. And because of that, you are able to have faith. Because of that hope of a great tomorrow, When we pass from this life, you are able to think outside of yourself and care about other people. If there's no hope in your life, if this life is all there is with all of its turmoil and frustration and everything else, then there's not much ability for you to have a lot of faith. And there's not much ability for you to to care outside of your own little world. That's what allows you to have love and faith um, and, and so Paul talks about that. Hope does not lead us to escapism, where all we do is, is think about some other world and we're, and we're n- of no earthly good. It is actually worldliness when we, when we are so consumed with ourselves that, that makes us useless to our neighbors. If, if, if I'm really worldly, then I pretty I, I just get consumed about what I own and what I want to own and how do I get this and how do I do that and pretty soon all I'm thinking is about me and I don't have the ability to reach out and touch someone else's life and make a difference there. If I'm heavenly minded, if I have a hope in a future life and all that God has for me, and that's the focus of my life, then I can pretty soon move outside of my own life and I can make a difference and I can spring into action for someone else and I'm not focused just on what I'm doing for myself. I can move into someone else's life and make a difference there in their life. And so Paul says the Colossians had hope and it caused faith and love where they made a difference in the city of Colossae. A great illustration of this is found in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 34. um, There were were Christians there who were going to prison for their faith. And I told you last week, when you went to prison in that day, I mean, you didn't have anything. They didn't take care of you in prison. You better have some family or some friends who would come and feed you because otherwise you were just going to starve to death. There was nothing there for you. And so Christians were being thrown into prison for their faith, for standing up for the gospel. The question for the other Christians was this. Do I go underground 
and not let anyone know that I'm a Christian too? Or do I risk everything and go help my brother who has been thrown into prison for the faith? And look at what this verse says. For you had compassion on the prisoners and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding hope. I don't think any of us are there. (laughs) But those early Christians, they were there. They were willing to lose everything they owned to go and minister to another Christian who had lost everything they owned and got thrown in prison. They didn't go underground. They didn't hide their faith. They went and they ministered. And why? Because they knew that they had a better possession and an abiding one, one that would always remain. And so they traded what they had on this life because of a hope of what they would have in another life, in the next life. And then as you go back to the scripture there, you see some characteristics of the, of the gospel, and I'm not going to take much time here. I'm just going to kind of list them and go on. But you'll see that Paul says the gospel is timeless truth. It is the true gospel. He says it is a message of grace that God gives us what we do not deserve. He says it's universal. You, you, you know, you think there, there are some things that, you know, you get the Gurney's catalog and you look at something, you say, yeah, I want to get that. And then you see it's, it's got a zone for five. <laughs> and, and you know you can get it, you know you can plant it, and you know it will die. <laughs> And so, you know, when I, if I order anything, you know, or if I go to a nursery or something, I try to look for stuff that can survive in a, a zone two. Because not everything will work everywhere, but you know what? The gospel is universal. It can work in Zimbabwe. It can work in Iraq. It can work in McKinsey County. You can put the gospel anywhere and it saves and transforms and changes life. And not only that, but it bears fruit. It makes a difference wherever you go. And the last thing he says there in terms of the characteristics of the gospel is that it causes growth. Friends, if the gospel is part of your life, you will be growing. You will be changing. It will transform your life on a continual basis. You will be different tomorrow because of the gospel than you were today. And that doesn't make what you are today bad. It just makes tomorrow better. And God always wants to be growing you up. And then the last thing I want to share with you out of this passage this morning is, is they're servants of the gospel, and he talks about Epaphras. And Epaphras was a faithful servant of the gospel, Paul says. The gospel does not go forth 
without key people. The gospel doesn't go forth without you. The God uses people to spread the gospel. And for this church up in Colossae, it took, you know, Epaphras coming down, getting saved by Paul, being transformed and going back and being involved in leading other people to Christ. The gospel goes forth not just by sermons. <laughs> the gospel goes forth not just by, you know, all those kind of things, but the gospel goes forth primarily by people. And we need to be aware of that. And so faithful servants who faithfully disciple by teaching people the word of God and helping other people grow is how the gospel and how the kingdom um, prospers and grows. Discipleship is apprenticeship. It, it is not just teaching people things. It is not just teaching Bible trivia. It is about leading other people and walking them through life. When you watch Jesus, how did he make disciples? They walked with him for three years. When you look at the Apostle Paul, how did he make disciples? He took them for two and three years. He'd go to a town and he'd stay there and he'd lead people to Christ and then he'd let them just watch him and work with him and he'd mentor them and disciple them. He didn't just have them in schools where he just taught them things and then walked away. As American Christians, we are tempted to think that the way you make disciples is by plopping them in a pew and having them listen to sermons. That is not the way you make disciples. Preaching, sermons, and church are wonderful tools of God, but that is not the tool for making disciples. Disciples are made by people in relationship with each other, mentoring, talking, correcting, training, all of that kind of stuff on a day-to-day basis. You need to do it with your children. You need to do it with your grandchildren. You need to do it with people that you come into contact with who are willing for that and hungry for that. The question I want to ask you this morning is is this. Is the gospel more more likely to thrive in a university or a trade school? A university where you go and you sit in lectures or in a trade school where they take you and teach you how to weld and then do it with you and evaluate all that that kind of stuff. Paul and Jesus and the leaders of the early church believed that the gospel thrives in the, the environment of apprenticeship where you work with people and disciple them and lead them through that. Because the gospel is not about knowing stuff. The gospel is about living a certain way of life. It is about living the life of Jesus and letting Jesus be primary in our life. So so the gospel calls us to be like Paul. And what did Paul say? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. God's call for you as a Christian is to say to someone else, walk with me, Imitate me as I imitate Christ. God's call to you as a Christian 
is to say to someone around you, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's what Paul said. That's the way disciples are made. We need to be discipled and we need to be uh, we need to be discipling others. In closing today, I simply want to ask three questions. I wonder if there is anyone here today who hasn't and wants to just publicly put your faith in Jesus. And if that's you this morning, you just want to stand up right where you are and then be seated again. Uh, you can do that right now. We'd love to know and to be able to celebrate with you that you're doing that publicly. Secondly, to follow Christ, to put him central in your life, you need the Holy Spirit to be active and important in your life because the Holy Spirit, according to John, chapter 14 and chapter 16, the Holy Spirit's role is always to highlight the ministry of Jesus in you. You will never really imitate Jesus unless the Holy Spirit is active and alive in your life. I wonder if there are those of you this morning who would just say, it's been a while since I've given the Holy Spirit much thought in my life. And this morning I just want to raise my hand and I want to say, Pastor, would you pray that the Holy Spirit helps me imitate Jesus? Thank you. Thank you. There are some of you that God has spoken to, even while I've been preaching this morning, about somebody that you need to say to them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That means you have to really be diligent. You have to think about, I've got to, in front of this person, imitate Christ. And I want to make that a focus of my life. I want to make disciples and teach them to obey. Not teach them knowledge. The Great Commission is that you and I teach people to obey Jesus with their life. Some of you, do you want to make that commitment this morning? Just raise your hand and say, I know who it is that God wants to say to me. Take that person and make a disciple.